Hello, this is David Sangster, lead pastor at New Life Church. Thank you for joining us today for our podcast. It's our goal to help you grow in your faith and discover all that God has for you. I hope you're encouraged, challenged, and inspired. Enjoy the message. All right, today we're going to talk about Moses. Moses, and you are going to, oh, we're going to talk about the plagues, and we're going to talk about the burning bush, and we're going to, we're not talking about any of that. Okay, it's funny, I, I, I keep telling you this, but I've been looking, reading through these stories afresh and anew for these presentations, and I'm telling you, it's weird. The traditional take on these stories has not been popping out to me. It's been other things, and I'm excited. You think that, you know, I've read through the Bible, you know, so many times. Uh, you know, isn't it just like watching a, watching a movie over and over again? Doesn't it get boring? It could, unless it's The Princess Bride. Then you can watch it a million times. I mean, honestly, come on, we know. That's the one you can watch a billion times. Mowage. No, it's funny how the, it, it's funny, and it's, it, it's, it's phenomenal how the Word of God speaks fresh and anew every time you read it. Now, I'm not, I'm not here telling you that, you know, the so-and-so begot so-and-so begot so-and-so is going to get in, more interesting, interestinger. I almost said interestinger. Um, but I am saying that when you read the Word of God, every single, because it's a living, breathing document, it doesn't exist in the past. It exists in your present. So the things that you're going through will be spoken to by the word of God. That is phenomenal. That's why it's such an amazing resource for us. So the big idea for this message is this. God is leading us into our own sort of exodus. As we follow Christ, we will have to make difficult choices that will require us to trust Jesus. Trust now, another word for, the, for, for trust is faith. And that's a very Christian-y word, right? Got to have faith, you know? Faith, what, what is faith? Well, the traditional answer to faith is, it is the evidence of things hoped for and the essence of things unseen. Y'all understand it now? That made it very clear and plain, didn't it? The evidence of things hoped for and the essence of things unseen. Oh, I totally get it. Even that's like a, you know, college-level seminary class. What is the essence of things hoped for, evidence? I love this explanation. A missionary named John Payton was translating the Bible from the South Seas Island tribe, for a South Seas Island tribe. John Payton discovered that their, their natives had no word for trust or faith. They had no word for it in their dialect. One day, a native who had been working hard came into the missionary's house, flopped himself in a large, comfortable chair, and said, it's good to rest my whole weight on this chair. This became a revelation to Peyton. That's it, he said. I'll translate faith as resting one's whole weight on God. That's a little bit, for, for me... For this brain, that's a little bit easier to understand than the evidence of things hoped for, the essence of things unseen. The concept of, of leaning all your, resting all your weight. So, in this sermon, when I say the word faith, 
I want you to mentally translate that into resting your whole weight on God. Okay? So let's, let's try it. Ready? I'm going to say the word faith, and you're going to say resting my whole weight on God. Ready? Faith. One more time. Faith. The faith of Moses, don't say it out loud, do it in your head. The faith of Moses is given more extensive treatment in the Bible than that of Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph. The Exodus holds a prominent place for every devout Jew in demonstrating God's action on behalf of his people, and Moses is held in the highest esteem. Open your Bibles to Hebrew. Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11. And Hebrews 11 is really going to give us the outline for this sermon. And this is kind of why I, I think the story of Moses kind of took a, a non-traditional bend because I started out in Hebrews. So Hebrews 11, 23 through 29 reads this. By faith, Moses, after he was born, was hidden by his parents for three months because they, thought, they saw that the child was beautiful and they didn't fear the king's edict. Now, that word beautiful can also be translated healthy. Okay, beautiful. He was a, he was a robust little guy. Okay, so this is what their parents did. They weren't afraid of the king's edict. Verse 24 by faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter and chose to suffer with the people of God rather than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. For he considered reproach for the sake of Christ to be greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt since he was looking ahead to the reward. Verse 27, by faith, he left Egypt behind, not being afraid of the king's anger. For Moses preserved, uh, excuse me, persevered as one who sees him who is invisible. He went on as being able to physically see what is actually invisible. That goes into the concept that the real definition of, the, the, the traditional definition of faith the essence of things hoped for, the evidence of things unseen. He saw the unseen as if it was seen. Interesting stuff. So he left Egypt. Verse 28, by faith he instituted the Passover and the sprinkling of the blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch the Israelites. <clears throat> by faith they crossed the Red Sea as though they were on dry land. When the Egyptians attempted to do this, they were drowned. Okay, so that's going to become our outline for this message. Okay, uh, I want to I kind of circle back a little bit to verse 26, uh, excuse me, verse 24 through 26. Because there's, a, there's kind of a strange insertion into this narrative. <clears throat> it says, Verse 24, by faith Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter and chose to suffer with the people of God rather to enjoy the fleeting pleasure of sin. Now look at this one. For he considered reproach 
for the sake of Christ. Now, wait a minute. Hold on. Moses was like way before Christ. The commentaries that I studied kind of put it in this light. He considered reproach for the sake of Christ or the promise of God to Abraham fulfilled in Christ. Christ, you know what Christ means? Do you know what Christ means? It's not Jesus' last name. It means Messiah. It means Messiah. So he was, he was able to endure the reproach for the Messiah who was to come. Okay? So that's very important. Moses understood that the final reward was worth the temporary suffering. He chose to give up certain securities in the flesh as an act of aligning himself with the Messiah, with Christ, which was to set himself up beside Jesus in his suffering. So in many ways, the suffering of Jesus is mirrored in the suffering of Moses, which is a common trend in a lot of the prophets of the Old Testament. The writer of Hebrews is calling his reader to see the attitudes and experiences of Moses as being exemplified in the person of Jesus. And, here's the thing, and should be reflected in all Christ followers. Hebrews is set, the writer of Hebrews is setting this up as not just a uh, historical narrative, but an applicable principle. Not only is Moses lifted up in this and has, has uh, identified with Christ in his suffering, but it's also something that we should walk in. Interesting. All right. So let's, let's deal with it verse by verse. So look at verse 23. Verse 23 of Hebrews. And remember what I said, and say it in your head when I say these words. Ready? By faith, after he was born, was hidden by his parents for three months because they saw the child was beautiful and they didn't fear the king's edict. The first evidence of faith was exercised by Moses' parents on his behalf. You don't think that had an impact on his life? The example of a faithful mom and dad who said no. Parents, did you know that the word no is your greatest tool? It's your greatest tool. You should have no arrows in your quiver all the time. No. I want no. It's okay to say no. What are you afraid of? It says they were not afraid of Pharaoh. And they said no. They hid the child for three months, as described in Exodus chapter 2. In view of the king's edict, which condemned the male Hebrew children to death, this was courageous faith. Exodus chapter 2. Okay, Exodus chapter 2. Now you can turn your Bibles. You can stay in Exodus chapter. You can stay in Exodus now. 
We're leaving Hebrews. Uh, anything left in Hebrews will be on the wall for you. Exodus chapter 2, towards the front of your Bible. Now a man from the family of Levi married a Levite woman. The woman became pregnant and gave birth to a son. When she saw that he was beautiful or healthy, she hid him for three months. But when she could not, to no longer hide him, she got a papyrus basket for him and coated it with asphalt and pitch. She placed the child in it and set it among the reeds by the bank of the Nile. Wow. Wow. When she could no longer fulfill her God-given duty, she placed her child in the hands of God. Parents, you don't get off by placing them in God's hands. God gave you a job to do. You need to place them in God's hand. You need to pray for them every day. But that's not enough. Because you've been given a job to do. For as long as you can, you must parent these children. They are yours, given to you by God. Well, I pray for them all the time. Good for you. That's the first step. As long as you can, as long as they're under your roof, as long as you are... Listen, there's a time when you have to let them go and you have to put them in that basket. I get it. But it ain't that fixed. We have given our children over to the culture far too early. You need to say, no, I'm the parent. I ain't your friend. I'm not your friend. We can be friendly as long as you do what I tell you to do. But I am not your friend. I am your mom. I am your dad. Deal with it. We've given our kids over to the culture far too early. Because we don't know how to say no. So she took the baby and she put him in a basket and in hollywood we always see she just like threw him out there and he is floating on the waves of the nile and like dodging crocodiles and all of a sudden he floats into the the pharaoh i don't i i just don't buy it i don't buy it i think moses's mom knew exactly where to put him so that he would be given the best chance at survival. You think it was just a coincidence that Pharaoh's daughter, who had no children, came down to the, uh, the Nile at that particular moment, and it just so happened that Moses' sister was sit, staying there? How many, can, how many moms can identify with the fact that she just threw her son in a a basket out in the middle of the Nile as being utterly ridiculous. Come on, right, moms? Come on. The dad's probably like, well, whatever. You know, but the moms, he's all gods, let's go. Back to the brick making, let's go. 
Moms, you know what I'm saying. She had this all in her head. She was preparing for nine months plus three. That's how this is all going to play out. I just, I just don't believe that narrative that was just like, here you go, God, cannonball, you know. I don't think so. Pharaoh's daughter went, verse 5, Pharaoh's daughter went down to, the, to bathe in the Nile while her servant girl walked along the riverbank. She saw a basket among the reeds, sent her slave girl, took it, opened it, and saw him, the child. And there he was, baby Yoda. Sorry, I saw the child and I just... She opened it and saw it, the child, and there he was, a little boy crying. She felt sorry for him and said, this is one of the Hebrew boys. Then his sister, gotta love older sisters, they're a pain in the neck, but. Then his sister said to Pharaoh's daughter, should I go and call a Hebrew woman who is nursing to nurse the baby for you? And I just think like uh, Pharaoh's daughter's like, oh, sure. She's like, wink, wink, yeah, go. Go do that. That's a good idea. Go, Pharaoh's daughter told her. So the girl went and called the boy's mother. Then Pharaoh's daughter said to her, take this child and nurse him for me, and I will pay you wages. So the woman took the boy, nursed him, and when the child grew older. Now, Jochebed nursed, uh, according to rabbinic history, Jochebed nursed Moses for 24 months. I mean, we're talking a good chunk of time. Modern science says that much of a child's personality, his, uh, his or her basic understands of the world, their, their, their sensibilities are formed well before 24 months. So this is huge. This is huge. She brought him to Pharaoh's daughter and became her. And he became her son. She named him Moses because she said, I drew him out of the water. Parents, we must do the hard work of relying on God for our children. See the difference between just relying on God and doing the hard work of relying on God? Your children are given to you by God to give them back to God, to raise them for God. We have an epidemic in our country of single-parent families. We were talking about it just the other day, uh, yesterday, in, in our prayer time, how the strategy of the enemy to destroy the family has been one of the most successful things to destroying our culture, our civilization, and... Christianity as an influential thing. We've got to retake back the family. We've got to do the hard work of relying on God fully. Hard work. Rely on God. Hard work. We must do what is best for them. Even if it means going against the prevailing culture or powerful forces of this world. This culture is going to eat your kids alive and spit them out something you didn't even recognize. Well, I don't want to shelter my kids. That's just stupid. How many people have ever had a garden? 
They have a garden. What do you do to a garden to help it grow properly? A few things you do. You feed it. You're, if you're like me, you kill it. Because I don't do the things, I don't have the patience to do the things that need to be done to make it grow. But if you are a good gardener like my wife is, you'll weed it, you'll feed it, you'll protect it. We have bunnies. We have, an, we have a, we have bunnies. And they don't leave. They're just procreating like rabbits and staying, right, Link? We got bunnies. So in order to protect our beautiful plants from these nasty bunnies. We put up fences around them. We, I had to build stuff. Work for plants. Do you, do, you, do you hear what I'm saying here? We cannot treat plants that we put in the ground with more respect then we treat our children. We've got to feed them. And I'm not just talking food. Please feed them. But I'm not just talking food. We've got to feed them. We've got to weed them. Well, that's my friend. Well, that's what you thought. You are not spending time with that person. But he's my friend. No, he's not. You can't tell me he's not my friend. Oh, yes, I can. I'm your dad, and I know it's better for you. I'm going to weed that person out of your life because that person is not going to help you to grow. He's going to choke everything out. And we need to protect them. What's that sheltering them? Apsa, stinking lootly. If I build fences around my plants to keep out the ravenous bunnies, I'm sure going to put fences around my kids. We got you, folks. The culture's too aggressive. They will choke, it will choke it out. Your kids might not even like you from time to time. Or you may feel that they don't like you. Aw. Get another friend. Suck it up, parents. You're not their friend. The responsibility we have to give our children over to God and thank him for the time that he's given them back to us to raise and to nurture is very limited. we got to use that time wisely. In an act of fully relying or putting our full weight on God for the future of our children, just like Jacobin. All right, moving on. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter and chose to suffer with the people of God rather than enjoy the fleeting pleasure of sin. Moses had to make a deliberate decision to follow God's leading. To follow God's leading. That's an adult choice. Your kids don't get to make that choice yet. Your kids make choices based on what you say. Now when we get a little older, it becomes our own. We have to decide what we're going to do with our lives. Moses had to make it a deliberate choice, a decision to follow God's leading. 
He refused. That word is very important. He refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. The tense of the verb refuse, imasato, points to a specific act of choice. There was a moment in time where he said, no, I'm not going to. I'm not going to do it. Continue with me in Exodus 2, verse 11. After Moses had grown up, he went out to his own people, his own people. Do you see the, the, the difference here? He realized that he was not where he belonged and observed their forced labor. He saw an Egyptian striking a Hebrew, one of his people, one of his people. Looking around and seeing no one, he struck the Egyptian dead and hit him in the sand. The next day he went out and saw the Hebrews fighting. He asked one of them uh, in, in the wrong, why are you attacking your own neighbor? And the Hebrew, which is going to be a trend in Moses' life, said, who made you commander and judge over us? The man replied, are you planning to kill me as you killed the Egyptian? Then Moses became afraid and thought, what I did is certainly known. When Pharaoh heard about this, he tried to kill Moses. But Moses fled from Pharaoh and went to live in the land of Midian and sat down by a well. This is Moses' first exodus. Okay? He has a second exodus, and he brings a lot of people along with him. But this is his first exodus. Now, in our act of exodus, out of the world, we are going to have to make a choice of identification. A choice of identification. And that choice has real consequences. We must refuse to be, to be identified with the kingdom of this world. Now, what is, Pastor, what are you talking about? The Bible's very clear. There's two kingdoms at work in this world. The kingdom of God and the kingdom of man, which is ultimately ruled by the devil. But this concept of humanism versus the kingdom of God. So you can't live in both worlds. The Bible's very clear with this. You can't live in both worlds. You have to make a choice. You must refuse to be part of one or the other. And it's often referred to as killing the old man, killing the self. The, the, the idea of moving on from that old, that old kingdom, that kingdom of, of my own pride, my own, ability, my own ability to make my own choices on everything, and all, all that thing that I identified with before. The sin, the narcissism of that kingdom. You got to kill it. Once they, we kill the old self, that side of us, that identified and celebrates the Egypt that we are leaving. Egypt and Babylon all, all, always uh, in the Bible rec, uh, represent sin and the, the, the world. Once we leave that Egypt that's inside of us, we'll be ostracized and canceled by those who believe your exodus is a commentary 
on their life choices. People don't buck against the, uh, the system of God's kingdom because it's fun. They do it because when you make that choice and you step out and you change your life by the grace of God, they feel that that is a commentary on their, their lifestyle. And it's, sometimes it is. But it's not for us to rub it in their faces. It's for us to love them. But often that doesn't work. I've, so many times I've talked to people who have come to Christ, and they said, I mean, you, you and dad have said the same thing. So when, you, when you come to Christ, it's funny how quickly your old friend group just kind of falls away. And sometimes it's because we're too much. We go too far and we say things we shouldn't and we're so excited about the new life we're living in we don't temper our words and we say dumb things. But a lot of times it's just a feeling of a, your life being a commentary on theirs. Again, it is a reliance on God that we will have to learn excuse me, learn, uh, learn to lean on to get us through the rejection and the loneliness of those wilderness times. You see the parallel? Moses had to reject his privilege, his old life, everything that went along with it, and he went through a wilderness period. He wandered in the wilderness of Midian until he came to a well of rest. Now, I believe that the parallel extends this well of rest is really what the church community should be. It's what the church community should be. In fact, I kicked around, before I came to this church, I kicked around uh, the idea of planting a church called The Well. Because it's where people met in, the, in old times. It's where they met and where they talked and where they, communi- they communed. But I believe that, that that time of rest after his period of wilderness wandering brought him to the well, and I believe that the modern-day well for the person who leaves Egypt behind is the church. It's where community is built. It's where there's a sense of belonging once again. But it's different. Guys, we need to be that church. There's people on so many different spectrums of their exodus, and they just want to place of community where they can work out their salvation and fear and trouble, where they can work it out in community and not have to be out in the wilderness. That's what our church needs to be. If we have a questionnaire at the door that says, check off all these things that you agree with, and if you get over a 90%, you're, you're welcome in the door. That's not community. That's not. So we say, those doors are open. Let's walk through this, this exodus together. It's a powerful thing. It's a powerful, powerful thing. But we're going to have to say no to some things. We're going to have to make a choice. We've tried so hard in the modern church to not have to have make people make choices. Holiness is a real part of Christianity, folks. Holiness. That's a very spiritual christian word. What does it mean? It means separate. That's all it means. Separate unto God. You can't have both. You've got to be either there 
and there's choices that have to be made. Here we go. Next section. By faith, he left Egypt behind, not being afraid of the king's anger, but Moses persevered as one who sees him who is invisible. We can't ride the fence. Are you following Christ or not? That's a simple question. Are you following Christ or not? You may not have it all right. I do. No. I may be a little bit farther down the journey than you have been. And I would hope you would want that from a pastor. (laughs) I may be a little farther down the journey. But I don't have this whole thing figured out. But my question is, still remains, are you following Christ or not? Moses left, left Egypt behind even when he was called to return. Let me, get, let me just break this down for you for a second. Moses left Egypt behind. He exodus Egypt, not even just physically, but in, him, in who he is. And then he was called back into the physical geography of Egypt, but he was free of Egypt. His geography didn't determine his fidelity. Because in him, he was out. Egypt was out. And I'm telling you, some of your greatest struggles of getting out of Egypt will be your greatest points of ministry once Egypt is out of you. Your experiences, your past in Egypt will give you the greatest perspective on how to work in Egypt but you got to keep Egypt out of you. I, I don't know how many people who struggled with um, things like alcoholism, alcoholism and addiction have gotten the Egypt out of them, or continually getting the Egypt out of them, but are the best people to work with those who are trying to get out of Egypt. I don't have that, that perspective in my history. So maybe I'm not the best one to to work with somebody who struggles with that thing. Because it's never been a struggle I've had to deal with. But somebody who is is in the process, continual process, of getting that that part of Egypt out of them is now, oh man, I can can understand what that, that looks like. I can help you. I can help you get out of Egypt. That's why Moses was sent back, because Egypt was out of him. He just needed to go back into the geographical location to bring everybody else out with him. It's powerful stuff. His geography did not determine his fidelity. When he returned to Egypt, everyone was against him. Everyone. I'm not, not talking, I'm not talking everyone. Pharaoh and the Israelite elders. None of them wanted him around. Pharaoh thought he was a traitor, which he was. And the Israelite elders thought he was really an Egyptian, which kind of was. He was a man without a country, really. Why was that? Because his country existed in the future. He saw a land that was not seeable, able to be seen. Every time he did what God instructed him to do, he got pushed back from both sides. He got pushed back from both sides. But, verse 28 of Hebrews, by faith, he instituted the Passover 
and the sprinkling of the blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch the Israelites. I am telling you right now that that was not an exciting moment for the Israelite people in Egypt. They were freaked out. They gave them so much pushback. Every single time another plague came, they, they gave, well, Pharaoh made it harder, but they were not, like, happy with Moses because everything was not working out. They thought the, the, the first plague, the plague of the uh, Nile turning to blood, oh, they'd be out of here. Nope. Imagine the last one, the fear. And if you read the scriptures very carefully, it shows this level of fear. We know the other end of the story. It worked. They put the blood over the, the doorpost, and it worked. They were living before they knew it was going to work. They were trusting Moses. So by faith, he did this, even though it was hard, even though he got a lot of pushback. I'm telling you, your walk with Christ is not going to be simple. I'm not going to candy coat it for you folks. It's so worthwhile, but it ain't simple. When you start walking in God's ways and start speaking the words of God, guess what's going to happen? You are going to get pushback. You're going to get pushback from people who don't believe the way, and you're going to get pushback from people who do. I'm just saying. Anybody been in a church that's been a little toxic? I'm telling you. You know why churches can be toxic? Because people are toxic, and churches are made up of people. Unless we're cleansed by the, continually cleansed by the Holy Spirit to do the work that God has given us. Yeah, we have a tendency to be that way. But you're going to get pushback. Expect it. Count it all joy. When you are get, have the opportunity to suffer for Christ, like Christ. i got to push on here. I could stay in this one all day. So he instituted the Passover. Okay, it says this in, verse four, uh, in chapter 14 of Exodus, verse 10, it says, As Pharaoh approached, the Israelites looked up, and there was the Egyptian coming after them. Now, this is after the Exodus. This is when they have, they have done what God has told them to do. And now they're, they're free. They're free. Everything's great. Pharaoh approached. Israelites were terrified and cried out to the Lord for help. They said to Moses, is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? What have you done to us by bringing us out of Egypt? Isn't this what uh, we told you in Egypt? See the pushback Moses was getting? Leave us alone so that we may serve the Egyptians. It would be better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. But Moses said to the people, do not be afraid. Stand firm and see the Lord's salvation that he will accomplish for you today. For the Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You must be quiet. I think one of the big mistakes the church makes in our current time is that we feel like we need to take on the strategies of the enemy in order to defeat the enemy. It's 
the world's going to be really loud and use all the media and all the things to, to fight against us. If, we're, if the world's got all these tools and all these tricks and all these toys, we've got to have the same ones because we need to fight back. Nope. That is not the weapons of our warfare. The weapons of our warfare are us being quiet and relying on See, if the Israelites had, turned, if Israelites had turned around and tried to fight the Egyptians, they would have been squashed, driven into the sea. It would have been done and over. But Moses says, listen, where's your faith? Who are you putting all your weight into? Where's your faith? Be quiet. And you will see the salvation of God. We were talking about it yesterday in our prayer meeting. We need more prayer. In the church, I enjoyed our prayer meeting yesterday, but guess what? There was like 10 of us, maybe at tops. That's, that's not good enough. It's not good enough. Maybe we're putting too much of our time into the things of Egypt, even using the tactics of Egypt, instead of using the weapons that God has given to us to be quiet and fully rely on him. Put our faith in him. 10 people at a prayer meeting is not enough. I love you. Get your rears to prayer meeting. Can you feel that? Can you, can, you, can you hear my heart here? I love you. But we're not doing our job if only 10 people are coming out to prayer meetings. I'm so excited about the men's prayer time. I'm through the roof. That dub, literally doubled our amount of prayer. It's great. We need more of it. We need more of it. All right, we've got to keep going. Moses' life was a life of obedience and trust on display. He was not perfect, but he was faithful. His example to followers of Christ today is a picture of a man whose convictions were followed even when they were hard or unpopular. Just as Jesus said to Martha in John eleven four, Jesus said to her, Don't let, uh, didn't I tell you that if you believed you would see the glory of God. By faith, verse 29, they crossed the Red Sea as though they were on dry land. When the Egyptians attempted to do this, they were drowned. Moses chose to lead in uncertain times because he knew the end result would be worth it. God is a faithful God who holds firmly to the promises that he makes. Just as Moses trusted God, we too can rest our full weight on him. God, I thank you for this example of the person of Moses, for the example of the person of Jacobin, God, help us not to live a, a weak Christian existence. We're kind of riding the fence between Egypt and freedom. God, help us to make choices, though those choices will have consequences. We're too often afraid to make waves. Lord, we know that when we put our faith in you, you make the best kind of waves. 
Lord, help us. Lord, I don't, I, I don't really feel like there's anything left that needs to be said. I feel like your Holy Spirit is doing the job in individuals right here and right now. So, Lord, my biggest prayer for my brothers and sisters today is that as they move into their week, that that small voice would just grow and not mm, extinguish. That the things that are coming to their hearts and minds by your Holy Spirit right now would grow into something formidable for the kingdom of God. That they would not be afraid to make the steps, to make the break, to fully put their weight and trust and hope and faith in you. Lord, bless my brothers and sisters. It's not going to be easy, but it will be worthwhile because it will change the culture. It'll change we thank you for this opportunity we have to study your word and pray. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. God bless.